Okay, this morning um, we're going to conclude the uh, study of the book of Jonah. And uh, uh, if you weren't here last week, you really missed a, uh, a good lesson that Ed brought us. It was, it was really good. Um, it was about Jonah's uh, repentance, but more so than that, how that can be applied uh, to all of us and how valuable that is to, to all of us. It, it, it's an avenue that we have um, to God. Uh, it, it, is, it allows us to agree with him because he is holy, he is always right. And when we do that, um, I think it, it, it really makes a difference in our, in our walk. Um, I'm going to recap a little bit of what's up there. Um, if you recall, God uh, kindly asked a man named Jonah, a prophet, um, to go to a city called Nineveh because the city was extremely wicked. And Nineveh was not a city of the Jews, it was a city of the Gentiles. But nonetheless, God wanted one of his prophets to go to them and tell them that basically if they didn't straighten up, it was going to wipe them out. Um, Jonah agreed to go, uh, but rather than going west toward Nineveh, he went kind of northeast to a place called Tarshish. And from there, he, he ended up on a boat um, that encountered some rough seas. And the folks on the boat, being uh, very superstitious, they were trying to determine what, what has brought this calamity on us. And so, they inquired of Jonah, uh, might he know who brought the calamity on us? And Jonah said, yeah, it's me. And said, throw me overboard and the seas will be calm. Well, they didn't want to do that. Um, uh, Jonah told them that it was his God that was, that was bringing the wrath down because of, of his own disobedience. The non-believers began to see the light and uh, actually sacrificed and prayed to God that he would not hold uh, to, to their charge the, the guilt of tossing Jonah overboard and, and killing him. Well, they did toss him overboard, and he was swallowed by a great fish. <laughs> Sometimes referred to as a whale. Um, and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the, uh, of the fish, and I'm sure he had a marvelous time there, uh, all kinds of junk floating around. Uh, I don't, I can't imagine what it smelled like in there. Anyway, on the third day, uh, the fish uh, got a little nauseous, and threw up and Jonah came out with all the rest of the stuff onto a beach. 
<clears throat> once he dusted himself off, he said, I believe I'll go to another. So to give you an idea, though, of kind of about the, the long suffering of God from, from Joppa, which is where Jonah set sail for Nineveh, is 2,500 miles. Now, in that day and time, that wasn't a two or three day drive. That was several weeks or months traveling because Nineveh was located just at the point where the Mediterranean and the Atlantic Ocean meet. And it would be just, it, it's either just south of Spain or, or actually on the Spanish shore. So <clears throat> even though God was determined that he's going he's gonna to wipe out the, the citizens of Nineveh, um, he was going to wait until Jonah had time to go and speak to them. So Jonah gets to the city. Uh, according to the Bible, there's a, it's a, it's a three-day journey through the city. So it's a big city, uh, 120,000 inhabitants, um, but evidently a large city from a from a square mileage standpoint. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, Jonah rolls into town. Uh, he says he travels about one day into uh, into Nineveh, and then he stops and. Uh, You can move to the next slide. Because I can't tell what you guys are going to see. Yeah. Okay, next one. Okay, so so he goes in he goes in and he and he tells them to repent or, or that they will be destroyed. And I'm going to pick up with back in chapter three where, where Ed was last week. So this will kind of flow a little bit, a little bit better into chapter four. So that's where we are is uh, chapter three, verse five, if you would like to turn there. <clears throat> the people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. This was done from the from the greatest down to the least. So here we're, we're going to learn, or they're going to learn that that God is sovereign. You can go to the next one. The king by this time had not heard of Jonah's visit. Um, it says when the when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying. He stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, and he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Now, there are other versions that use the word sackcloth instead of burlap, but essentially it was the cloth that was used for um, uh, just various and sundry items like we would use burlap today or some type of cotton, but it was not used for clothing but only as a sign of repentance, apparently in, in cultures other than just in the Jewish culture. In verse seven, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. 
No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. King further said, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So here, here we, we see God in, in action being true to his word. Um, to this point, we the reader, we, we, we have no other inclination other than God is going to destroy the city. Um, but they responded to Jonah, uh, a Jewish man from 2,500 miles away and were uh, in that response turned turned to god there's a passage in the first part of romans things romans 2 where paul talks about about the gentiles not not having the law but they have a law unto themselves that that they understand that there is good and there is evil and these people understood that there was good and there was evil and apparently the evil was was almost beyond beyond description but when they repented god showed them mercy and relented and did not destroy the city <clears throat> now jonah and all of his infinite wisdom is not too happy <clears throat> so he 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 tells lord didn't i try to tell you that that this is what you would do um but yet you sent me anyway uh now how jonah really knew this i i don't know i'm not sure that he actually did know <clears throat> all right beginning now chapter four verse one this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Um, I think the casual reader would have to pause a moment and think about this because here, even though it's not recorded in, in, in the book of Jonah other than at this point, apparently he had a conversation with God um, basically saying, I, I know you're going to take care of these people. What, what's, what's the use in my going? But it was God's determination that Jonah would go. Um, and that he would be he would be the messenger. So Jonah is 
so distraught, and this is a guy with some problems, I think. Um, he said, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Um, still some confusion from the text because Jonah is it's, it's virtually saying two things. One is, I, I knew that you were going to take care of these people, that you weren't going to destroy them. But he also is saying he's, he's angry because God didn't destroy the city. He, he wanted them wiped out. And now he's saying, I would rather be dead than alive if what, if what he predicted would, would not take place. The Lord responds back, back to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah replies, well, let's go to the top of the hill and see what happens. So Jonah wanders off out of town a little ways, goes up on a hill, says that he built a shelter for himself, and evidently sat down looking over the city, and now he's ready to observe <clears throat> whether God is going to bring judgment down or whether he's going to show mercy. Verse 5, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, <clears throat> and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So we, we tend to like God's blessings, but yet are critical of him when he doesn't do things our way. Uh, Jonah's thinking, uh, I hope that's up there. Yeah. Uh, is it hot out here or is it just me? Well, the plant is shading Jonah. He's, he's waiting for something to happen. And overnight, God sends a worm. God has a sense of humor. The worm ate through the stem of the plant and it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on John. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. I think you could say this guy has a death wish. I don't know that I would be telling the Lord, I want to die. Unless I really did want to die. I'm not sure he did. But when trials come, as they did with, with Jonah, he, he's ready just to throw it in and say, take me out. I don't want to be here. Death is certainly better than living like this. Well, <clears throat> the worm did its job on the plant. <clears throat> He's uncomfortable. Asking God to kill him. And in verse 9, then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. I think he's making it pretty clear he, he, he wants to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's how the, that's how the chapter ends, and that's how the book ends. And in some versions, it, 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 it actually reverses some of the language and basically says Nineveh has 120,000 people living there and also uh, many animals. Now, what the animals had to do with it, I don't know, but, but I think in God's thinking that, you know, these are all his, his creation. And, and this was a great, a great city. Um, and, and, and he was, he was angered from their behavior, but he was, he was going to give them another chance. We see God's sovereignty here. He's in charge. Um, he's going to get his way. Uh, Jonah pushed back hard several times. We don't know whatever happened to Jonah in the, in the, in the long run. Um, but he, he definitely was, was reluctant. Um, the uh, what what came to mind when I was reading about this was God's um, willingness to allow people space to turn from their evil ways um, more space than than we can realize. If we're all in here today, that means that He's allowed us some space. To turn, if there's turning that needs to be done, um, he's patient. Uh, there are a couple of scriptures that are familiar to us. One of them is Second uh, Peter three nine, and this is out of King James. <clears throat> but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing: that one day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years as in one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's repeated again in Hebrews, uh, a, a, a similar passage related to that. Um, throughout it all, it doesn't appear that, that Jonah came to, to the realization of, of, of God's nature from the standpoint of being merciful. He understood God as one who's going to take revenge against evil. He fully understood that. And he wanted that to happen in a bad way. But God makes it rain on the just and the unjust, just like today. We can, we'll assume for the moment that all of us in here are just. We'll just assume that. But there are people outside these walls that aren't. Yet, the sun shines on them, the rain falls. Uh, they're provided with food, 
shelter, clothing, the necessities of life. And we, we refer to that, or sometimes referred to as common grace. It, it's God's love for us that drives that grace toward us. But again, God is sovereign. And I think that's what, what the lesson is here in the book of John, um, is to recognize that, that God is sovereign. He's going to get his way. But in so many times, he uses people to make that happen. He will use animals. He used the fish. He's used, should I use the King James word or not? A donkey. Um, that's one I really like <clears throat> was, uh, we'll pause some gentlemen just for a minute. That's one I really like where, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy that's, that's on the donkey and uh, riding along and God is not happy with him and, and the donkey slams up against the side of a, uh, like a, like a cliff and the guy gets off the donkey, walks around and, and starts beating the donkey. And the donkey says, what have I ever done to you? Now, that would be shock enough, right? If you heard a donkey speaking to you. But who was the guy, Perry? I don't remember. Was it Balaam? Balaam, yeah, yeah. I remember now, Balaam's. Okay. Um, but then Balaam carries on a conversation with the donkey. It's like, it's like, you know, it's not like he's thinking what in the world's going on. You know, the donkey says, what, what have I ever done to you? Why did you beat me? And, and yet he carries on a conversation with the donkey. But God will use anything and everything. He used the worm. He used the hot sun. He used the sea. He used the wind. Everything in nature he can use and will use. You recall back uh, when the, the Israelites were held captive in Egypt those many years. And when uh, Charlton Heston approached Pharaoh and said, well, let my people go. And Pharaoh balked a few times. And if you recall, there were several uh, nasty things that happened. The worst of all was the taking of the firstborn. Again, God uses people to accomplish his goals. And he will use good people and he will use bad people. I like the way that Job sums all of it up. This is again from the King James. And Job said, Job said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. We all know how miserable Job was. A man that was had virtually all of his family locked out. All of his possessions, animals. He was stricken with, with boils, with sores all over him to the point that he sat in ashes and scraped his body 
for some relief from the pain. But through it all, even at the prompting of Mrs. Job, who said, curse God and die, he didn't do it. And he, he held fast. And in the end, God rewarded Job greatly. Uh, uh, several fold over what he had already possessed. And it's not, it's not about the possessions. It's about the goodness of God, about the mercy of God. So, what can we learn about God through the book of John? Well, he is determined to use us um, as the messenger of his will, that he is long-suffering, merciful, that he loves repentance, and he loves faith, but above all, God is sovereign. He is in charge, regardless of what Jonah has to say. What do we learn about Jonah? Jonah wanted punishment, not forgiveness. He tried to run away from God, tried to hide. Couldn't. He paid a price. Three days, well, being thrown overboard and three days in the belly of a fish. Then Jonah relented. I'm not sure he repented, but he relented. Went as he was told into Nineveh, delivered the word, but he was stubborn to the end. And, and to the best of our knowledge, remained self-centered through it all. What can we learn about ourselves? We want our way so many times, rather than God's way. And, and in due time, he will show us his way. We want justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves. We want punishment for others and revenge, but that's God's job, not ours. We want, we want mercy and we want blessings. And those last two things are available to us for the asking. We have avenues to request those things. Even if we don't speak them, God knows what's on our hearts. Um, yes, we're told how to pray. We're told that we can even go in the closet and pray if we want to. But even if we silently pray, God hears us. Even if we're thinking about something else, God hears us. He knows what's going on. He knows what's hurt, what hurts us. He knows about all our trials, our pains, our sorrows, every bad thing that's been on this earth since somewhere around the first month of creation. But we're paying, we're paying the price. But we also have an avenue of escape. And we have a, a, a promise that will be honored by the Almighty. He, he will provide, as, as the scripture that Caleb 
read earlier. <clears throat> well, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. That in, my, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Well, there's, so, so Ben and Aaron and uh, who's the other two? Joanna, Chip and Joanna. They're, uh, they're busy preparing a place for us. God's carpenters are pretty good folks. They know their job. Uh, in fact, I think his, he had one in the family for a while. Um, but I, I, I don't think we should ever, ever abandon the, the avenue that we have to exercise our rights as heirs, as children of the promise. Just like God promised the Israelites, we, the Gentiles, have been grafted in, and we are now heirs, fellow heirs with the Jews and fellow heirs with our Lord. So, as we close this morning, um, I guess we can remember the fish story. Um, it's kind of interesting that, that God used a fish to get Jonah's attention. And when he sent his son here, Jesus used fishermen to get everyone else's attention. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the sunshine, for all the blessings of life, for friendship, but most especially, we thank you for your son who came to live among us, to show himself, to fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. And then the ultimate sacrifice that he paid on our behalf, that, that through faith, we can lay claim to the promise and we can have assurance that that promise will be honored. So it's in your son's name that we offer these prayers.